Father, I pray, Lord, Lord, as we sang that there's no body in the grave, Lord, I pray that we would delight in the resurrected Jesus Christ, that our God is victorious, that our God never fails, that our God never fails, no matter what we face, no matter what our home situation looks like, no matter what the finances look like, our health looks like. God, I thank you for the believer. This is not our home. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you so much for your resurrection power. Thank you, God, that you are everything that we need. Lord, I pray, Father, in this time that you have allowed me to share your word, I pray for an anointing. Lord, I pray, God, that you set my face like flint. You make me faithful to you. And Lord, the response is up to you as well. I pray, Heavenly Father, give us ears to hear. God, let us hear this again, Lord. Let us hear this again. Father, I'm asking, please, that you give us ears to hear. Lord, in this time that we're living in, let this be a moment marked for eternity. Glorify the name of Jesus. Let people leave today saying, not what great worship, not a great preacher, but a great God we have. Glorify Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team, choir, band, musicians. We're not going to have the verses on the screen this morning, so I'm going to ask you to prepare if you have your hard copy Bible to three parts of Scripture, Romans 10, Exodus chapter 11, and 1 Kings chapter 22. Romans 10, Exodus chapter 11, and 1 Kings chapter 22. I heard somebody once said, if you have your phone e-Bible, um, I don't know if you heard that, if you have your phone e-Bible, you can turn easier to where you need to go. <laughs> Never know if the app disappears one day when we wake up. Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart, the Apostle Paul speaking, and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with Him. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. The Bible says He fulfilled it. He's the end of the law. Remember, the law leads to Christ. As a result, all who believe in Him are made right with God. Now, for those of you that are wondering as you read through the Scriptures and you see the Jewish people all throughout the history of, uh, of, of this Bible, I want you to know no matter if a person is Jewish, uh, Palestinian, American, European, African, regardless of where people come from, Jesus Christ made it very clear there's only one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. Nobody gets an automatic pass into heaven. No person gets an automatic pass. Obviously, we're not speaking of children at a certain age. We're talking about those who are capable of making a choice. 
And, and so we see here that Paul is saying, hey, I, I, it's my heart's desire to see the people of Israel be saved. And he knows that there's only one way as well. Verse 5, for Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth. And don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. Uh, in other words, we know the Heavenly Father did that. He sent the Son. Uh, we celebrate that at Christmas time. We, and then He resurrected Him from the dead. We celebrate that at Easter. We can't do that. We can't do those supernatural things to try to impress God. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart. And we'll talk about that later. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare, or maybe you have in your translation, if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Verse 11, as the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. The title of the message is, The War Between Nine and Eleven. There is a battle I want to speak to you between verses 9 and verse 11. There is a war that goes on. Now, if you turn with me to Exodus chapter 11, I first want to speak to those who may be doubting their salvation. You may be questioning whether or not you belong to the Lord. You wonder if your prayer or your faith was enough. In 2 Corinthians 11.3 in the New King James Version, it says, But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness... So your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. It is a very simple message, the gospel. It's the blood of Jesus Christ and nothing of our own works or efforts that gets us saved. Jesus said it very early on in the gospels. It's repent and believe. Now, Exodus chapter 11 gives us a picture of the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. In Exodus 11 verses 4 through 7 these are the last of the plagues that happened towards Pharaoh and his people. This is what the Lord says, At midnight tonight I will pass through the heart of Egypt. All the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt, from the oldest son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the oldest son of his lowliest servant girl who grinds the flour. Even the firstborn of all the livestock will die, and then a loud wail will rise throughout the land of Egypt, and a wail like no one has ever heard before or will ever hear again. But among the Israelites, it will be so peaceful that not even a dog will bark. And then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. Uh, now, old way of being right with God, belief in God, do your best to obey God's commands, and hopefully looking forward to the coming Messiah. And we know salvation today is being born again. It's faith in what Jesus did on the cross. But here we have a picture of Passover. I love that the Lord, he makes a clear distinction of who's his. When God looks down on planet earth, he sees two people. Those who have the spirit of God inside of them and those who don't. Very simple. It's not unclear to God. In chapter 12, verse 7, it says they are to take some of the blood, either a young goat or a lamb, and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. And then verse 11 through 13, eat the meal with urgency. I love that the Bible says urgency. There's a seriousness to our salvation. There's a seriousness to the things that Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us. There's a seriousness to this walk with God. It's not a light thing. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. 
On that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. When I was at the University of Maryland, I was invited with some friends to go to this event. I'm not even sure what the event was in Washington, D.C., right by the National Mall. But I, I was not a Christian. I had not surrendered my life to the Lord at that point. I started reading the Bible. I think I started going to church or Bible study around that time. And I had, I had an interest in getting to know who God was. And there was a table there under a tent. I remember this big wooden round table. And people were talking about God. They, they, actually, the group there was enticing people to get to the table to debate about God, to debate their thoughts and their opinions about God. And, and I'm watching, and, and I think I had enough common sense to realize something was up here. Because they were telling the people that unless you give up all your possessions, join their group, you have to change their, uh, your name, your personal name, um, you're not a believer. And, you know, and I got to a point where it was enough for me, and again, not a believer, and maybe I didn't handle it the, the best way, but I, I was, we were talking about possessions, and I said, you, so you want my shirt? Is that it? You want my shirt? And I said, okay, I'll give you my shirt. I didn't take my shirt. I, I said, I, I'll give you my shirt if that's really what you care about. And then I asked him, I said, all this talk, how come you never mentioned Jesus? Years later, at the last Billy Graham crusade in Queens, I, I, at that time I was a Christian, and I ran into this group again. And this time I got to talk to one of the ladies a little bit longer, and she actually admitted her real name uh, to me. It's a cult, obviously, that they're involved in. She admitted her real name to me because, you know, people, uh, when you're involved in a cult, try to take your identity away, right? Sounds like our public school system. And so, and, and so try to take our identity away. And, and so we got to talking, and hopefully at that point I got to share the gospel message with her. But I could imagine these families here in Exodus chapter 12. I don't know what it was like at 11.50 at night, 11.52, 11.53. And, you know, mom is there at the table. Dad's at the table. They know. They saw the other plagues. They know God wasn't playing around. And I wonder if somebody in the house was asking the question, did we put enough blood on the door? Was there enough blood? Did, did I say the sinner's prayer correctly enough? There is nothing that you and I can add to salvation. They did what they were told to do. Put the blood on the door. Trust the Lord that you'll be passed over when it's death time. The same thing for us, beloved. It's a confession with our mouth. It's a belief in our heart. Yes, there's a genuine repentance. Yes, there's a genuine belief. But it's not based on our church attendance. It's not based on whether we tithe or we don't tithe. It's not based on how many times we come to the church during the week to serve in ministry or don't serve. Our salvation is based on what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us. It's about putting our faith in that. Now, those other things are good things. And those things will follow a person when they truly have an encounter with the Lord. Nobody will have to push you through the door on Tuesday night or Sunday morning. 
Nobody will have to push you to tithe. Nobody will have to push you to do these things. When I surrendered my life to the Lord, nobody gave me a list of rules. I said, I don't want to go there anymore. I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't, that's not right if I say that anymore. The Holy Spirit began to work on the inside of me and begin to lay his finger on the things that he wants to lay his finger on and still does today, thank God. Now, 1 Kings chapter 22. Now, there's a war, though, between verses... 9 and 10 and 11 in Romans. And I want to talk to you a little bit about this war in 1 Kings 22, starting at verse 1. For three years there was no war between Aram and Israel. And then during the third year, King Jehoshaphat of Judah went to visit King Ahab of Israel. So you got Jehoshaphat, Judah, Ahab of Israel. Now Jehoshaphat is known for doing some good things for the Lord. Uh, If you read at the end of this chapter, one of the things he shouldn't have done, and we're going to take a look at this, is actually make peace with the king of Israel. During the visit, the king of Israel said to his officials, Do you realize that the town of Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us? And yet we've done nothing to recapture it from the king of Aram. Here he is, he wants to go to battle, wants to go to war, he wants to recapture what he believes is entitled to him. And then he turns to Jehoshaphat and asks, Will you join me in battle to recover Ramoth-Gilead? And Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, Why, of course. You and I are as one. My troops are your troops and my horses are your horses. And then Jehoshaphat added, but first, let's find out what the Lord said.
for the Lord. And then Micaiah told him, in a vision I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, their master has been killed. Send them home in peace. Verse 18, didn't I tell you the king of Israel exclaimed to Jehoshaphat, he never prophesies anything but trouble for me. The Lord will always give us a warning before judgment. This is a warning to Ahab. God in his mercy warns his people before judgment comes. In verse 24, it says, Then Zedekiah, son of Keniah, walked up to Micaiah and slapped him across the face. Since when did the Spirit of the Lord leave me to speak to you, he demanded. And Micaiah replied, You will find out soon enough when you are trying to hide in some secret room. I thank God that those who are filled with the Holy Spirit don't hide in a secret room. Arrest him, the king of Israel ordered. Take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to my son Joash. Give them this order from the king. Put this man in prison and feed him nothing but bread and water until they return safely from the battle. But Micaiah replied, if you return safely, it will mean that the Lord has not spoken through me. And then he added to those standing around, everyone mark my words. He tried to lock the voice of God in prison. Sometimes the Lord may be convicting me of something or during service, or, or uh, giving me direction for something. It's not, it doesn't have to be something sinful. It could even be something that, hey, Sal, this is something I'd like you to do, or move in this direction, pray about this. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when, when I don't want to hear the Lord, then, especially if it's during worship, I tend to sing louder. And here, Ahab is trying to lock the voice of God in prison. Trying to lock it up and saying, we don't, we don't want that voice anymore. Let's, let's keep him somewhere where we can't hear from him. In verse 29, so King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah led their armies against Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, as we go into battle, I'll disguise myself so no one will recognize me. But you wear your royal robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and they went into battle. Jehoshaphat almost loses his life because he's hanging out with the wrong friends. Ahab is a coward. Ahab says, I'm going to hide. I'm going to hide in my sin. I'm going to set somebody else up, actually, if there's trouble. It is very important that you and I, in this time, have people in our lives that know how to call on the name of the Lord. It's very important that we have godly friends. It's, it's very important that we know how to fellowship. There's a difference between fellowship and ministry. Ministry is when we're talking to an unbeliever, whether they're a family member, a co-worker, somebody else that we may know in our lives. We're ministering to them. Fellowship only happens between two believers that have a heart after the Lord. There's a unity there. There's a peace there. And it's so important that we have fellowship. And it's and, and, and so important that we get out of our circles to have fellowship, too. It's so important that we don't just stick to, and hopefully you have family that love the Lord that you can talk to, you can speak with, you can share with, you can go to battle with and pray together. But it's also so important that we break out of those groups sometimes and begin to meet people that look a little different, may sound a little different, uh, but they love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you have something for them and they have something for you. Fellowship is so important. Some of us, we come to service on a Sunday and as soon as the last person says, have a good day, we're fast. 
We're fast to get out. Now, I've shared this once before. I used to go to Times Square Church. You'd have to wait in a line before you could even get your car. Here, it's such a blessing. I mean, you just walk to the parking lot, and, and you get in your car, and, and you drive home. I don't know what the rush is. I'm still trying to understand what the rush is. Verse 20, excuse me, verse 31. Meanwhile, the king of Aram had issued these orders to his 32 chariot commanders. Attack only the king of Israel and don't bother with anyone else. So when the Aramean chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat in his royal robes, they went after him. And there's the king of Israel, they shouted. But when Jehoshaphat called out, the chariot commanders realized he was not the king of Israel. They stopped chasing him. Now here's the war. An Aramean soldier, however, randomly shot an arrow at the Israelite troops. Hit the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. It says between the breastplate and somewhere probably on the arm, right here. Turn the horses and get me out of here, Ahab groaned to the driver of his chariot. I'm badly wounded. The battle raged all that day and the king remained propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans. The blood from his wound ran down to the floor of his chariot and as evening arrived, he died. Just as the sun was setting, the cry ran through his troops. We're done for. Run for your lives. So the king died and his body was taken to Samaria and buried there. There was a crack in the armor because it wasn't the armor of God. The king tried to hide in his sin. He tried to forge his own righteousness. See, 9 and 10 in Romans tells us how to be saved, but 11 tells us how to trust in God and we won't be disgraced. And if we try to go to battle in our own armor with a crack that's open to sin, we will get shot. We will find out. It's amazing how sin finds us out. It's amazing how he tries to hide, disguise himself, puts on armor, arrow flies into the sky, what the Bible says randomly, and it wasn't random. We know the sovereignty of the Lord. And it hits him in the little crack of his armor. You know, Ahab should have asked for help after that, and he doesn't. He's too proud to admit that he's been hit. In reality, he's bleeding. And some of us, that's what we do after verses 9 and 10. We try to forge our own righteousness. Then we like the heaven part. We like the, uh, yes, confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. But there's a big gap between verse 10 and verse 11. 11 says rely on, adhere to, trust in, walk with the Lord, trust him with your heart. Trust him to take care of your life, your situation. Call sin what he calls sin. Call right what he calls right. Don't forge our own righteousness. Ahab tries to prop himself up at that point, and he stands there acting like he's in the army, acting like he's doing something as he dies. You and I cannot create our own righteousness. Matter of fact, that's why the Lord Jesus said there will be people who serve in ministry, and I'm paraphrasing. There will be people that say they know me. There will be people that, that look like they're doing miraculous things. And then on the day of judgment, they'll go to the Lord, and the Lord will say, depart from me, I never knew you. May I suggest that you also get out from under preachers who lead you to prop yourselves up and forge your own armor. May you get out from the voices and the podcasts and the books and all the, the nonsense that's being preached because those people will give an account to the Lord that tell you that you're okay to live the lifestyle that you want to live contrary to the word of God and you can prop yourself up and they can care less if you're bleeding to death. See, we're called to fight. We are called to a battle. We're called to fight for the souls of our children. We're called to fight for the souls of our grandchildren. We're called to fight for the, for the calling that God has on our lives. We're called to fight. 
We're called to fight in prayer. We're called to fight in obedience to the Lord. We're called, but we can't fight with our own breastplate of righteousness. It has to be the Lord's breastplate of righteousness. We're made right by the blood of Jesus, but we live right by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. We submit under the authority of Scripture. But if we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we put on what God calls us to put on. We go from 9, 10, and into 11 in the book of Romans. Then there's a verse here that breaks my heart in verse 36. It says, just as the sun was setting, the cry ran through his troops. We're done for, run for your lives. But by the grace of God, that will not be our families. Our kids will not wake up to a spiritually dead mom or dad or asleep and start running aimlessly through the streets and running aimlessly where they're not supposed to go. No, by the grace of God, we will put on the breastplate of righteousness. We will call what God says right is right and wrong is wrong, regardless of what culture says, regardless of finding a preacher that will prop you up and die in your sin. God will give us the grace to stand there. God will give us the grace to fight. If you're willing to put on his breastplate of righteousness. And our shield of faith may be weak at times. But there's no cracks in God's armor. So even if it's heavy to lift that up, I want you to know that that arrow's not going to find its way in if we're calling what God's calls right is right. Now there's a war. There's a war from 9, 10, and 11 in Romans. Like I said, Romans 9 tells us how to be saved, and there's nothing we can add to it. 10 confirms that it's a deep work in the heart, that it's not just something in our mouth. But 11 actually comes from the book of Isaiah. And I want to read it to you. Verse 11 in Romans chapter 10 tells us, as the scriptures tell us, what scripture? Isaiah 28, 16. I want to read it to you in a couple different translations. This is for the person that says, I'll make the break. I'm not going to try to hide. I'm not trying to, going to cover up myself. I'm not going to derobe myself from what the Lord has put on me. If you're a Christian, you put a robe of righteousness on you. Don't, don't try to uh, mess with that or muddy it. The person that says, I'll put on the breastplate of righteousness. The person that says that I am going to follow the scripture. This is an impossible walk, folks. None of us want to, in our natural strength, want to do half the things that we find in scripture. None of us want to go to work and love our enemy. None of us want to go and forgive the people that have hurt us. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will give us both the desire and the will to do what pleases him. Isaiah 28, 16 in the NLT says this, this, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, look, I'm placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, talking about Christ Jesus, a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. We will not be shaken. Isaiah 28, 16 in the Amplified Translation. Therefore the Lord God says this, listen carefully. I'm laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for the secure foundation firmly placed. He who believes, who trusts in, relies on, adheres to that stone. That stone. Adheres to that stone. Every relationship, that stone. In Scripture it's very clear. It's very clear on many, many issues of life. I say many because sometimes you got to do a little digging here. But when it comes to relationships, I think about people, they, they're believers, and then they begin to date someone who's not a believer. And the Scripture says, no, adhere to, trust in. He has the best plan. The Bible says, we will not be disturbed or give way in sudden panic. Hallelujah to the person 
that puts on the breastplate of righteousness, they will not be given in sudden panic. Isaiah 28, 16, so this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for the sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken in panic. Never be stricken in panic. Regardless of uh, what's going on around us. Regardless of what we see on the news. Regardless of where we see our country heading or not heading. We will not be stricken with panic if we're trusting in, relying on, adhering to. It's not my life anymore. The Bible says when we're born again, we give up our life. It's Christ who lives in me. That's why the Bible says Christ in us, the hope of glory, is certainly not me. And our flesh never changes, folks. No matter how long we've been a Christian. That's why we desperately need every day, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, give me the power to live right, to speak right, to think right. Give me an anointing to be a husband. That's something I pray for. Not just to preach. Anointing to be a husband. Anointing to be a father. I need you, God. Because by the grace of God, regardless of what's happening around us, God will give us the grace to stand, not prop ourselves up like Ahab. And if there's an arrow in our side, the humility to say, God, help. Very simple. God, help. A complete, honest cry to the Lord. Psalm 34, 4-5. I prayed to the Lord and He answered me. He freed me from all my fears. And those who look to Him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. Shame is not for the believer. God says, you trust in me. That shadow of shame will not follow you. Psalm 33, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory. The one who holds my head high. Another translation says the one who lifts up my head. He is our glory. He lifts up our head. I believe he lifts up our head, beloved, so we could behold the cross. We could behold the victory on the cross. We could behold the one who has won the victory on the cross. Psalm 3.3 tells us that we can stand and know that God is our shield. He is our protection. He's the one who will protect our kids. As this world tries to indoctrinate our children... And cause them to hate God and hate their families and turn against family. And if you don't agree with me, just read the news. Just just look it up for yourself. Just ask a child, actually. When I took my son for a surgery recently at a hospital not far from here, he's sitting next to me and they're asking me a question if he's a boy. But God says that we will win the battle if we're wearing the breastplate of righteousness. God says that he will keep the things in his hand that we place in his hands if we're willing to agree or we go to battle with some fake armor hiding ourselves, propping ourselves up. We have a choice to make. But you also have the choice to condemn every voice that tries to condemn us. You have that authority in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in Romans 10, 11, it says that those who trust in the Lord will not be disgraced. Disgrace means fallen from grace. The Bible tells us where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. God doesn't get rid of us on our bad day. He doesn't kick us to the curb when we're having a bad week. But for the person that walks honestly with him, he will finish the work that he started. Trust him. Not in our own strength. And in our sufferings, in our sufferings, in our hard times, God will give us the strength that we need to to go through if our heart is turned to him. If we make the break from 9, 10 to 11, we will not be disgraced. Jesus was not disgraced at the cross. Somebody could look at that and, 
and wonder. You know, that's Judas' problem. Jesus was too weak for Judas. And they could look at Jesus and, and they can say, well, he's disgraced. He's ripped apart. He's bloody. Pastor Mike shared a wonderful illustration of the cross. But he wasn't disgraced because the Father didn't abandon him there. He rose from the grave. And in your suffering, you're not disgraced. God will give you the strength to go through. This life is not the end, folks. This is not the end. Heaven is the home for the Christian. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. And I want you to turn with me as we get ready to close in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Verses 43 through 45. Talking about the Passover. Talking about the salvation that's available to all. No outsiders are allowed to eat the Passover meal. Praise God. God's making a clear distinction here between those who are his and not his. But if you want to be his, it's available to you. But any slave who has been purchased may eat if he has been circumcised. There is so much in that verse. Folks, Jesus Christ purchased us as slaves to sin. His blood purchased us. You and I were on the, the slave block being traded from sin to sin and lie to lie. And one day the Lord began to move on our heart and we responded and he rescued us out of that slave block to set us free. The Bible says it, it says it here, you can eat it if you were purchased and circumcised. There's a circumcision of the heart that goes on when we're born again. Very simple. You and I go to the doctor. If, if we're not breathing, it's, it's simple for that doctor to, to, to give a notice of death. There are some vital signs as a Christian. There are vital signs. Reading the Bible is a vital sign. Praying is a vital sign. Caring about people is a vital sign. Conviction of sin is a vital sign. Wanting to forgive or ask for forgiveness when we've done wrong is a vital sign that we are alive in Christ. And so there's a circumcision of the heart that goes on. Temporary residents and hired servants may not eat it. The Bible tells us that there's people that will act religious but deny the power that can make them godly. They will play the part. And oh God, when they, they play the part, but once we all stop breathing, the heart stops beating, there's no more playing the part. And that person will have to answer to the Lord. That person will, there's no more begging, there's no pleading at that point. But every knee will bow and tongue confess. But I, I, I don't want anyone to, to be that person that's bowing and confessing, but they're too late. They did it on the wrong side of eternity. The Bible says that temporary residents don't eat this Passover. Hired servants don't either. There's enough pastors and preachers peddling the word of God for profit. And they're going to have to answer to the Lord. Hired hands don't get this meal either. Careful who you listen to. Careful who you put into your ears. Careful who's telling you it's okay. Jehoshaphat should have said something to Ahab. At first he says, hey, let's ask the Lord. Doesn't even ask the Lord. He gets the warning too from Micaiah the same way. And what happens? He goes to battle. Almost lost his life. Careful. Careful being around the, the Christians who will put a stamp of approval on your lifestyle that doesn't honor the Lord.
See, salvation is simple. You and I can't add anything to it, but I will tell you the simplicity that's in Christ changes everything. It changes everything. In Romans chapter 10, it says, this message is on our lips and in your heart. It's not just on our lips. It's in our heart. It's deep within the core of who we are. It shapes everything. It shapes how we spend our time. It shapes what we listen to. It shapes where we go. It shapes our careers. It shapes everything. That's not just for the person that works in ministry. That's for the Christian. I became a Christian at 21 years old. It shapes everything. Everything. It's, it's not my life anymore. Christ, it's your life. And if you don't like that, you don't want that, then be honest with the Lord. Either you say, like Ahab, help me. Or just don't play games. Salvation is not for those who say, oh, I just want heaven. But Jesus, I'm going to trick you and fool you because the rest of my life, I'm just going to live apart from your ways and your word and your scripture and your commands. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't. 9, 10, and 11 are connected. But there's a battle between 10 and 11. John the Baptist said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I want to read a couple more verses to you. Would you stand with me, church? First Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 through 6. This is good and pleases God our Savior. This is good. Who wants everyone to be saved? And to understand the truth. He wants you. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. The man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. See, salvation is available to everyone. The Bible says unless two agree, they can't walk together. There's going to be an altar call in a moment for three different things. One, for salvation. You're sitting here and, and you don't know who Jesus is. I'm not talking about the Jesus you only get from the person preaching or from the Christian radio station or YouTube or whatever else. I'm talking about the person of Jesus. You don't know him personally. You walk with him. You talk with him. It's on his grounds. It's, this is not an equal walk. He's king. We're not. He's Lord. We're not. He's master. We're not. To be purchased means I no longer am owning myself. I've given up ownership. If that's you, in a moment when the worshipers begin to worship, I'm going to ask you to, to come to the front of this church and get right with the Lord. The other is surrender. Some of us, we, we, we know nine and ten. But maybe we've been wearing our own armor. Maybe like Ahab, we, we look good. We've propped ourselves up. And from a distance, we may look like we're in the battle. But the reality is we're bleeding. The reality is time is running out 
And if you don't fully surrender your life to the Lord, you don't finish the battle. The last one, I know that I responded, I think it was yesterday at some point. Those who trust in the Lord. I needed some some areas in my life where I need to say, Lord, I, I need to trust you in this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't make this happen. I can't do it in my own strength. I can't change this situation or... I need to trust you. And so we're going to give an altar call. I'm going to give an altar call. That simply means as we're going to make our way out of our seat, whether we're up in the balcony, bleachers, main floor, lobby. If you're at home and you're streaming, I encourage you to stop what you're doing if you're able to. And if you're driving, pull over the side of the road and just spend some time in prayer. Salvation. Eternity is on the line. Surrender. We need the breastplate of righteousness. It's what God says is right. Maybe you've had a hard time. You have a hard time when you open up this book. You have a hard time because you read things that are totally different than what you've believed your whole life. And you have a hard time agreeing with the Lord. And, and you need God to do a supernatural work and say, God, just be honest with him. God, I don't agree with you. I, I, can't, I can't do this. I don't even like some of this. But God, I'm willing God, I'm willing. I'm willing to to let you in. I'm willing to to get rid of my own armor that's just going to get me killed and and put on what's right. And the last thing, again, is trusting. Trust him for your kids. Trust him for your grandkids. Trust him. Trust him for your home. Trust him for, for the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Trust him again at his word. Just trust him. Trust him. And so I'm going to ask whatever the Lord puts on worship team's heart to sing but I want to encourage you to come forward and spend time in prayer. Remember, we don't leave saying great worship, whatever about that guy preaching. It all, this is the most important part of service right now. Because you can leave saying that's good, but nothing happens here. That's why we give these opportunities for prayer. So Father, I pray, Lord, that those who need to respond to this, give them the courage, God. We got soldiers saying that they're going to fight a battle because they want to protect the next generation, not knowing if they're going to live or die. God, give us the courage to walk 30 feet, 40 feet, down some steps up here. Who cares who's looking? Who cares? It only matters what you think. Lord, don't let people stay the same. I ask this in Jesus' name.